been in this series called Rooted, and it's centered around this scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through 19. We've been saying it together. We're going to put it on the screen. Let's say it together again. One, two, three. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I love the New Living Translation as well. This is the NIV. Um, but the idea here is centered in, in several key words. Um, one of them is the idea of dwelling, which is how it's written in the, in the New Living Translation. And the word dwell, listen to me, means to settle down and be at home. To dwell means to settle down and be at home. So what Paul is asking for is that this, for these that are reading this letter, which would be the, the Christians in Ephesus, that the Spirit of God would come and dwell, that he would be comfortable, that he would feel at home in their hearts. Now, we know that the Spirit of God was already resident within them because in Ephesians 1.1, Paul addresses them as saints. But Paul is getting that you can be a saint, you can know Christ, and Christ not yet be at home in your heart. Yet not dwell in your heart. He can, you can know him as your Savior, but he's not dwelling there. All right? Now, the idea of Abraham brings this idea into clarity. I'm going to talk about him for a moment. But I don't want you to miss the fact that Paul is yearning for the Spirit of Christ to come and dwell and feel at home in their hearts, that they not have a surface relationship, but that they have an ever-deepening relationship. And if he wrote that to the church at Ephesus, is it possible that it could be true for us, that we can know Christ and Christ's love not dwell in us? Is it possible that we can fall into the trap of coming to a gathering called church and feel like we've done our deed, but Christ doesn't dwell in our heart? Is it possible that we can focus so much on trying to do the right thing and not, quote, sin, but yet not be driven by the dwelling love of God in our heart? That's the heart behind the scripture. And he says the key to it is being rooted and established in love. We've been playing around with pop songs in this series. I'm going to play around with another one. In fact, this one, which is the title of today's message, is one of my favorites. I am a huge U2 fan. Don't hate me. Just, I like them. But please understand, with artists, with artists, the words are simply a mechanism to express an emotion or, or to try to understand um, a situation. That's what the book of Psalms is. You do understand that in the book of Psalms, when David writes things about God came down like holy smoke out of his nostrils, that didn't really happen. God did not breathe smoke out of his nostrils, but he's using, he's using language to try to illustrate what was going on in his life. Does that make sense to everybody? 
See, that's where I think a lot of us, uh, we misunderstand artists. Artists are just trying to express something. A lot of times they're trying to dig into something. And I love it when two artists collaborate together, when their gifts mix. That's what happened on this song. This is one of the great U2 songs. Um, it first appeared on the album Joshua Tree, which is a great album. Um, I could tell you, by the way, if, if I, one of these days I'm going to do this. <laughs> we're going to do a series called Joshua Tree, and we're just going to go through the songs on that album. It's great stuff, great imagery. In fact, Bono, uh, the lead singer, wrote probably one of the most beautifully descriptive ideas of grace. For those of you that don't mind listening to other stuff, I would encourage you to jump on Spotify and play the song Grace by YouTube. It is fantastic. It was so good that I actually read it one day when I was in seminary, and the, the, the teacher thought I wrote it, and then was aghast when I said, no, those are Bono's words. <gasps> what? It's just beautiful. A beautiful depiction of grace. But flowery language is part of what artists do. And so these two artists come together. You had you 2 Bono, and one of the best blues guitarists and artists of all time, B.B. King, got together and they recorded, When Love Comes to Town, I'm Gonna Jump That Train. It's a great song. You ought to go listen to it. Yeah, when love comes to town. And so it got me to thinking, you know, what would it look like when God's love came to town? What would it look like when God's love came into a city? What would it look like when God's love came into a community? How would God's love come into a city or a community? What might that look like? Let me give you a couple of things that I thought about that would happen when love comes to town, first, faith will overpower doubt. Faith will overcome doubt. When love comes to town, doubt goes out the window and faith springs up. I'm experiencing this in a new way. I'm going to let you know that I'm going to be reaching out to some of you men for counseling. As one of my daughters is dating. Man, when, John, when Jonathan was dating, we couldn't get him to figure out that he was going on dates. He just thought he was hanging out with Megan and they were friends. So our prayers were completely different there. It was like, God, open his eyes, please. But now when it comes to a daughter, it's like, I don't know, man. Mm. The protector thing inside of me is rising up really strong. Because, see, I was a pretty good guy. And I told my wife, I wouldn't be good enough to date one of my girls. <laughs> I got a lot of doubts. But I remember the time in my life where I was doubting God's plan for me. I had played, I'd always been an athlete playing basketball and stuff. I played basketball at a small college. I'd always had friends, um, always had young ladies to go do things with. And I graduate from college and I get my first ministry job and it's just nothing. Dead silence. I felt like I was living between uh, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. It was like, God, where are you? You are silent, and don't be silent for 400 years, please. 
And, um, but then I'm walking through the house, and my mom and dad are watching this Christian television program, and they're interviewing this guy, and this guy was talking about dreams and how that God still speaks to people through dreams. I'm someone who has always dreamt my entire life. I've, I know I've had communications with God through my dreams. I used to sing a lot. That was a goal that I had in my life. I wanted to make albums and be famous. That made me a jerk and a stuck-up idiot. I was, but see, confidence and cockiness are really close together, you know? And so um, I was picky who I would sing with because not everybody can carry a tune. And not everybody can harmonize. So if I was going to sing with you, I had to know you could harmonize. I think that's why Sylvia and Andrea and I were so good together because it was like we were related even though we weren't. And we just blasted and it's good to see you, sis, today. I didn't know you were going to be here. Um, but uh, I'd always dreamt, and there was this one time where I got involved in a rock band uh, when I was an early teenager. And um, I, was, I was a good preacher's kid, but I wasn't the best. Um, I ventured out there a little. Um, I fell in love with the group Kiss. Something about the makeup. I don't know. And uh, there was this song that they sang that I got hooked on that later would get saved by the group Petra, who's a Christian Christian rock group, by the way. Um, But I had this album. For those of you that know Kiss albums, it's one that had all four of their images in a quadrant on, and I had it hidden under my bed in my room. My parents didn't know I had it. And when they would leave, I would put the vinyl back when vinyl was still. Now it's all cool again, you know. And so put the vinyl on my record player, and I'd blast it through the house. God gave rock and roll to you. It's like, yes, he did. Yes, he did. It spoke to my spirit. I was having a spiritual experience with Kiss, walking around the house, sticking my tongue out, just thinking I was cool. Ah. And I had a dream. And in this dream, I was walking towards the boys club where me and my buddies would play almost every day. And I went to step out into the street, and this old man stepped in front of me and simply said, I gave you your voice. Be careful who you give it to. And I woke up, and I could not speak. You remember that? I had no voice for two days, and I was sick, running a very high fever, and my parents couldn't figure out what was wrong. During that time, I had another dream, and this time I dreamt of a turtle, and I was standing on the same corner, and this turtle started walking across the busy intersection of Frank Phillips Boulevard, and the cars were zooming, and it just kept on walking. And it kept on walking. Cars zooming by. It never stopped. It just kept going. And the old man appeared again. And I said, what is up with that turtle? And he said, the only thing he sees is the other side. And he's committed to getting there. And he doesn't notice the distractions. And he said, son, you need to fix your eyes on where I'm taking you. And quit letting other things distract you. 
And I said, well, I was smart enough to realize this must be God. And in my dream, I said, Lord, I don't want to lose my voice. And I'll make sure to give it only to you. And I woke up and I could talk. So don't tell me God doesn't speak to us through dreams. Because I've met him there. But I'd never thought about keeping a dream journal that this guy talked about. So I'm lonely. I'm praying, God, I'm lonely. I need somebody. I'm doubting that, there's, that I'm going to ever find somebody. I'm in a church with old people. There's no young people around. And where am I going to meet somebody? It, uh, anyway, and I, had, I took the guy's idea, started keeping a dream journal. It was around Thanksgiving of 1993. I determined to keep it up until New Year's Eve and that I, I would do what he said, not go back and reread the dreams, but I'll just write down every day the ones that I remember. And so I did, and I'm praying this whole time for, for Lord, I'm lonely. I need somebody. And I've had about five times in my life where I know I heard the voice of God. Like, it, it could have been audible, okay? And this is one of those. And I've, how, how do you know when you hear God's voice? Because you'll never forget what he says. I remember as clear as day. When you are happy with me and only me, when I am the source of joy and fulfillment in your life, then I'll bring the one I've held in reserve for you. Several things jumped out at me as I, as I wrote that in my journal. The first one was held in reserve. What? You have somebody picked out for me? And, you, and, and I'm the one that's causing us not to connect? Wow, God, fix me. And come to find out that several, as I got to New Year's Eve of 93, I went back and I reread and I dreamt about Chandra about every three nights. I've still got the journal. I dreamt about her about every three nights. And I was like, God, no, there is no way. I've blown this bridge so many times. She knows the worst of me. I know you're changing me, but there's no way I'm going to convince her. She knows all the junk. You know anybody in your life like that? Like you think you've got to break away from everybody in order to get a fresh start? Let me tell you, that doesn't have to happen. Anyway, and so uh, things progressed, and we wound up going on our first date on Valentine's Day of 1994. And um, it, it was somewhere in March. Uh, uh, actually, that was on a Tuesday. On Saturday, we, I bumped into a mutual friend who uh, at a restaurant at Outback Steakhouse on 240. See, when God directs your life, you remember the things. And uh, we, he, he pushed me into the bathroom. He's a good friend of mine. And he said, if you hurt her, I'm going to kill you. I looked at him with all the confidence inside of me, and I said, I'm not going to hurt her. I'm going to marry her. Because God had spoken. And there's no way we should get connected. And then it was later in March. We were driving along 240. There had been a snowstorm. Something happened. I don't remember what I did. I've tried to remember so that she'll do what she did. Again, we're driving down the road, and I did something. I don't know what it is, but she swiveled in her in the seat next to me, and she said, wow, God really has changed your life. You see, it's amazing to get fresh starts. It's even more amazing when God changes you and the people who know you the best notice the difference in you. Sure, sure. And suddenly, from that night of that dream to the free lunch on Valentine's Day, <laughs> to the encounter with my friend saying, I'm going to marry her, to her saying, God really has changed your life, suddenly doubt got overpowered by faith. I began to believe, man, this is really possible. And when love comes to town, faith will overcome 
doubt. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, listen, I am sure every one of us in this room today would say, I believe that God exists. But please notice there's two parts to this. To please God, you don't just acknowledge he exists, but you earnestly seek him because he rewards those who do so. All right? You seek his face. So tonight I encourage you to come and seek God. He's actually much easier to find than we think. Romans 4, 16 through 17. So the promise is received by faith. What promise? The promise that's received is, is about heaven. It's about that there is something beyond this life. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Now, this is talking about Abraham, this guy that God just picks out of nowhere, has a relationship with him. But please understand, going back to the idea of dwell, something in that story, if you know the story of Abraham, God came in the form of an angel, and at one point he had two other angels with him. And the Bible says that they came down and they went to Abram's tent. Not only did they go to his tent, but he offered to feed him food, and they stayed and hung out with him. There's something about hanging out around the table that, that equates to the deepening of a friendship. It's the idea of dwelling. That's why Jesus is depicted in Revelations. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Which door is he knocking on? The door of the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear me and open the door, I'll come in and have, have a meal with him. Because what I really want, I don't want you to just know me. I don't want you to just sing about me. I want you to open your heart to me, church, so I can come in and dwell with you because I want to hang out with you. I want to feel comfortable in your heart. Yes, and when he comes, faith is the key that opens that door. So when love comes to town, Faith will overcome doubt. Secondly, hope will overcome despair. What is despair? If you look up the definition of despair, it's here it is. You ready? Hold on to your seats. The utter loss of hope. <laughs> despair is, is to experience the utter loss of hope. Do you know that our world is ravaged by a spirit of despair? I want you to think about this. Some of the people that we drive by and don't even look at, believe you me, they notice when you don't look at them. And what is communicated when we don't look at them is the voice in their head that says, nobody notices you. Nobody cares about you. You're of no value whatsoever. But do you know that some of those people are praying for a place to sleep tonight? Some of them are praying for their next meal. Some of them are praying to escape their despair. Just like some of you are worried about the economy and so you're praying, wondering where the next money is going to come from to pay the next bill. 
It's the same despair. Our world is ravaged with it. And our world desperately needs an infusion of hope. And I want you to know that Abraham had this promise from God when they came and visited. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Look up at the stars. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Look at the, the, the grains of sand on the shore. Your, your descendants are going to be as great as that. Have you, have you ever had God tell you something and you looked at yourself and said, there ain't no way that's happening. That's what Abraham did. In fact, not only did Abraham question it, but his best friend laughed at the idea. His wife. Now listen, I have learned in 28 and a half years of marriage that God's voice sadly does sound a lot like my wife's. But not every time. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to know his voice for yourself. And even when those closest to you try to seed you and pull you into despair, you've got to stand up and go, no, this is what I heard from God. And she laughed at the idea. And she said to herself, is God going to give me a child when my husband is old and doesn't even function? Well, there was no Viagra in those days. So how is God going to answer that prayer? They got to do something with the word. They got to do something with the seed of the word of God that was planted inside of them. And the Bible says, continuing on with this scripture in Romans 4.18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith didn't weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. See, both of them just... Wrote each other off. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. So what do you think had to happen? Abraham and Sarah had to get physical with the word. They had to put some effort into their prayer. They had to do something. Listen, if he had never taken her on that magical date again that they hadn't done in 30 years, if he had, if he had never set the, the table with the candles and put on the romantic music and, and done something to win her heart, to move her from believing that he was dead to realizing, wow, I'm still alive too. And, and they were able to do so. Listen to me. We've got to stop just hungering to hear a word. We've got to start doing something with the word that he's given us. we got to put some hope behind it and get out of the land of despair. Because if God has said something to you, he's going to do it. But listen, I'm, I'm diverting here. A lot of things in my heart today. Um, as far as when God gives you a word, as somebody who believes in all of that and has grown up in it, I want, I want to balance something just for a minute. And uh, give me about 20 more minutes, guys. Listen, when God gives you a word, that's not, that is not... God's saying this is definitely going to happen. What he's doing, if you listen, is he's going to draw your character into question and show you where you've got to develop your character in order for that word to manifest. If somebody gets their, gets their identity from people and God gives them a word that says you're going to preach to hundreds, you've got to be careful. 
You need to develop your character that says, if I'm preaching to one or 200, that doesn't change my personal value because my value is in him. When you develop your character, then you're open to the blessing that God wants to put into your life. Oh, that was really good. And I don't know. So many Christians, spirit-filled Christians, they run from word to word to word because they want God to change their circumstance when you need to get a little bit, a little bit of Abraham and Sarah in you, get a word and then put it to work in your life. Amen. Start going for it, Amen. believing for it. Amen. So, back when I was younger, I'm so glad there's no timetable on words of God. I was playing the piano at a college gathering and a man that I know, he, his track record backs up that he hears God and gives words, okay? Um, anybody know who Evander Holyfield is? You ever heard of him? Okay, this man was ministering in a church, and um, a guy came forward, and he prayed over the guy and gave him a word and said, I, hear, I see the word come back over you, come back, somebody you're connected with is about to make a major comeback. The guy came met him off stage at the end of service and said, do you know who I am? He said, no. He said, I'm the trainer and manager for Evander Holyfield who's about to make a major comeback and nobody knows about it. That man then brought this person to meet Evander Holyfield and for two years, this man, or at least two years, this man flew with Evander Holyfield, was in his locker room and prayed and prophesied over him before every fight and Evander made his comeback and fought in Germany. A big, huge, huge deal. The guy's name is, uh, the, the guy is just amazing. His name is Dale Gentry, and he was ministering, and I was playing the piano, and I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and whenever somebody starts saying, and the Lord saith, by the way, why did God suddenly talk in King James? <laughs> but whenever somebody did that, and you were on the piano, you were supposed to stop, because it's God's word, as if God wasn't always speaking through the guy. Anyway, I can make fun of us, because I am us. And he was, so I was over here on the piano. He was on this side of the stage. I quit playing and he's speaking and he turns and he says, who told you to stop playing? <laughs> and then he turns back around and he, before he could say another word, he then turns, points his finger at me and starts walking across the stage and spoke this over my life. He said, you're going to be a firebrand to your generation. You're going to speak healing, healing, healing into people's lives. There's going to be miracles that happen through your ministry. And I've let that word go for a long time. I've actually backed away from all the kookiness. I thought there's no way that we can ever build a church around that anymore. That is a lie of the devil. So that's why every week now we are going to pray for healing. I don't care if nobody comes up. We're going to give the opportunity. We're going to pray for everybody because God is going to heal people through, through this church. Okay? And God wants to heal people through you. It's not enough to get a word. You've got to put action behind that word. Amen. All right? Hope overcomes despair. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope. We should not be people with a weak hope. Amen. We should have a confident hope. I want you to know the financial world is shaken. Some of you may not even know what happened Friday. The 16th largest bank in the United States closed. It is sparking fear in economists right now. What happened was their stock price began to dwindle. And people made a rush on the bank to draw their money out and it shut the bank down. And now 
the government is saying not all of you, not all of their deposits are going to be secured. You know, FDIC. Now I'm reading that, and at first my flesh was like, "Oh my gosh, we better diversify." And then I remembered, what am I doing? Lord, you are our provider. I'm not going to put my faith in my money. I'm not going to put my faith in no bank. I'm not going to let somebody else to tell me what I've got to have to be provided for. For you are the one who has always taken care of your children, and you're going to take care for them again. God has given, given me a word privately for me. I'm going to release it to you right now. I believe we are about to move into an, a, the land of Goshen over the church. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, in the Old Testament, when plagues came upon Egypt, there was a section within Egypt... That was protected like a bubble. When Egypt's water turned to blood, Israel's river stayed water, stayed clear. When Israel, when uh, Egypt's cattle started dying, Israel's cattle started prospering. Yeah. And it was the blessing of God on Israel that caused Pharaoh's heart to turn on. Them. God, I don't want their hearts to turn on us because we stand up for truth. I want your blessing to so rain down on, on those that are connected to you that there is no way they can deny who we are tied to because you're our provider and you're our source. You're the key to our identity and the key to our security. I believe we're about to enter into a time of Goshen. You better make sure you're in Goshen. All right? So, lastly, unity will overcome division when love comes to town. Unity will overcome division. One of the things that, uh, if you have not yet seen the Jesus Revolution, I again encourage you to see it. I'm, I'm going to go see it for the second time. Heck, I may go see it three times. Um, it's just really good. I know it's a movie, but please understand there's more behind this thing than just a movie. Okay? It, first of all, it's history. It's history. It's happened. Do you know how many times God does something once, and then he comes and does it again? Do you not read in the Old Testament where he brought Israel out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground? Praise God he did it once. But then his kids, their, their kids showed up to the same place. Only this time, they didn't need the water to part to believe that God would move. They walked out in the waters first. They put praise out there. They put praise out there first. They worshiped God. They took the covenant of God... The Ark of the Covenant. They took the covenant of God, the promise of God that they believed would never fail, and they walked out singing. Why? Why is that important? Because even the president enters a room to his song. And the king, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It's praising not for us. If you pay attention to the songs we sing here, one of the things you're going to find is that our focus is always singing to him. Very seldom is it about me or my need. It's about, I'm giving glory to you, Lord. In the, in the midst of my needs, I'm going to praise you for who you are. All right? And when God's love comes, unity overcomes division. Jesus prayed this prayer over his followers and over you. I'm not going to read you the whole prayer. You can go read it in John 17. But Jesus, Jesus in that prayer, he said, I pray not only for them, but I pray for those who will come to believe in what they say. That's me and that's you. 2,000 years ago, you were on his mind. And he said this, I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I'm in them, and you are in me. 
May they experience with perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me as much, that you love them as much as you love me. The heart of it is that it's when they're in unity together that the world's going to stand up and take notice. So when God's love comes to town, unity takes over division. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So why are we, why are we greeting? Is it just during the service? Is it just because everybody does it? Maybe everybody does it, but that's not the heart of why we're seeding that into our culture. The culture of new life is to be a welcoming culture, a loving culture, a culture that says, I'm going to get to know you. I'm, I'm going to care about you. You know what, what I would love to see us, what I believe we're going to get into, what we really want to get into, is for you to realize that every one of you are a pastor. Amen. All a pastor is is he cares for people. Yeah. You know what? Everybody kind of sits in the same seat. Maybe, if we, maybe we would get, get a move of God if everybody swapped sides. But when you notice somebody who's sitting next to you that isn't here, don't come and tell me about it. Call them. And if you don't have their number, shame on you. I don't mean shame. Lord, I didn't mean that. That was a joke. No shame. Anyway, but we should know each other. Care about each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go beyond just sitting next to each other. Care about each other. Because it's when we love each other, that's what's going to cause people to stand up and take notice. So let me summarize all of it for you today. And I, you give me a few more minutes. Holy Spirit, just drop this like a bomb in this place. God's people possessing God's love will be people of faith, not doubt, hope, not despair, and unity, not division. I'm tired of Christians having weak hope. The Bible says we're supposed to have confident hope. Quit letting what you see change your hope and shift you into doubt. Quit letting what you experience be what drives you into doubt. Quit letting despair become the dominant emotion of your heart. If we are his people and we are possessed by him, his love, we will have faith, not doubt, hope, not despair, and unity, not division. Because there's a reason why this has to happen. In the book of 2 Samuel is a wonderful poem. Going back to, me, to artists, I want to read you a couple of verses. You can read it yourself. Um, Samuel, 2 Samuel 22. Listen to this. David, I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. Yeah. Verse 7. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I cried out to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. What was David doing? He was praying. Everybody with me? A few more verses. Verse 17 through 19. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. David was facing something that seemed overwhelming to him that caused him to pray to God for help. Agreed? So my question to you is how did God answer David's 
prayer. Well, to understand what he's praising God about in chapter 22, you've got to go back to chapter 21. And in chapter 21, what you find is Israel is at war with the Philistines. And there is this Philistine giant that has called David out. Verse 15. Oh, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Take it off, take it off. Okay, that's good. Go ahead. I, I didn't know I put that in there. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel, and when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. So this, this enemy is coming at him. He doesn't feel like he can handle it. Once again, uh, go on to the next verse. Here's a great name. Ishbenob. Don't name your kids Ishbenob. I mean, think about playground dynamics. Hey, Ishmanob, do you open a door? Anyway, Ishmanob was a descendant of the giants. So do you know who he's tied to? Goliath. This is an age-old family squabble. You took out my relative. I'm coming to take you out. His bronze spearhead weighed more than 70 pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David. And was about to kill him. In this moment, David utters those verses that I read to you. I cried out to the Lord. My enemy came at me when I was weak. But he heard my cry. And he answered my prayer. And he delivered me from my enemies. How did that happen? Verse 17. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Do you know what Abishai means? It means the father of a gift. So here's this young man whose name became his destiny. He knew he had something to give. He had a gift. And more than once was Abishai with David in troubling times. Abishai was the only one with David when David went and took some things from Saul when he was running from him. Abishai was there and in command of one of the troops when David's own son tried to take the throne from him. Abishai was the man of a gift. And eventually Abishai will take a spear to save David's life. But in this moment, Abishai became the answer to David's prayer. Why must we as the church become people of faith and hope and unity? Because when God's love comes to town, God's people are to be God's answers to other people's prayers. He wants you to become God's answer. To someone else's prayers. Second Samuel 22.4 I called on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And he saved me from my enemies. How many people in your world are praying those kind of prayers. And we miss the opportunity to be God's answer to people's prayers all the time. Why? Because we need more faith. We need to believe that God can use us. We need more hope to believe that in our life is the ability to affect somebody else. And we need to be in unity with the Father more. I think God wants his love to come to town. And the vehicle he wants to come to town in is you. And he wants us to not just be people that worship well and sing well and greet well. He wants us to be people that live well, that live with faith, that live with hope, and that live in unity with his spirit so that when the opportunities come, we can be 
the answer to somebody else's prayer. When the church does this, love will come to town. I'm sorry. I know there are gatherings all over this city where Christians are coming together and they're crying out for revival. Fantastic that we're filling huge sanctuaries with people that are worshiping and people that are crying out to God. But if we never put our feet on the ground and walk out this love, it's never going to happen. How did the Jesus revolution happen? Because one man became the answer to a group of people's prayer just by opening up his life to them. And whoosh! All God needs is an ember. Breathe on me, Father. Let me be an ember. Would that be your prayer today? Would you be willing to say, God, fill me with faith and hope, and may I be unified with you so that I can be the answer to someone's prayer and that love can come to town through me? Would you stand with me today? Father, I thank you that you love us.